It's great to have Brother Titus here. He was actually here uh, several years ago for a wedding, that, uh, and that's where I met him. Then I realized every year we saw him at the sort of Lord Conference, so every year we try to get together, go out to eat together, and then Janice and I just fell in love with uh, Joni. And, you know, one of the reasons you're here is that Joni came with you, okay? But, uh, uh, but I'm a little bit afraid. They seem like they're collaborating down there against us, all right? But... Uh, we have a great time together when we go up there each year, and I've just wanted to have him prayed about it, and the Lord just impressed me. Yeah, that's the guy to bring. And so I am so glad because I not only have a friend here, I have somebody I believe that God wants us to have here. So that's, that means all the more. Brother Titus, would you come preach, please, sir? Thank you, Brother Bloom. And it's good to be here. It'd be good to meet you nice folk, and you have a wonderful pastor. And uh, we, uh, as he said, our hearts knitted at the conference, uh, seeing one another, uh, fellowship with one another. And, uh, but now I can see why he's always full of smiles. Some of the greatest people that, short of Cornerstone that is, are sitting right here on the sound of my voice. And it's good to, to be here. You said the wise were collaborating. My grandfather would say something like this, when you buy land, you get stoned. And, uh, but anyway, it's good, it's good to be here and, uh, it's good to be here for your revival. I thought long and hard about what I would preach to you uh, about a revival. Uh, revival simply means restarting something that has, has died out or has kindled off. And, uh, so I thought long, I said, how do you start a revival? How do you get this thing flowing? And, uh, God led me back to, uh, to the book of Matthew where it all began to unfold in the first place. I know most people, when they come to preach a revival, they go to Second Chronicles 7.14. And I say, well, I'm not going to be one of those. And uh, I want to start where it started to unfold. And I believe uh, uh, it started to unfold on Calvary. Where the Lord Jesus Christ, when he went to Calvary, when he died for your sins and mine, that's what got the fire burning. That was, that's what got us started. And so this morning, I'm going to take you back, and I'm going to ask you, in your mind, to go back 2,000 years to that place called Calvary and see how this whole thing got started. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Just going to read uh, two verses of scripture, then we'll get right into our message. Matthew chapter number 27. And uh, once again, this is just a kickoff message. I have more to come. I promise you, though, like uh, Elizabeth Taylor told her fifth husband, I won't keep you very long in no service, so don't get comfortable. And uh, don't get overly comfortable. I'll keep you long enough, but just to get used to you. And uh, Matthew chapter number 27. Look with me at verse number 36. And sitting down, they watched him there. Verse 37. And they set over his head, uh, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this conference. Thank you for this revival. Thank you, Lord, for Dr. Bloom, Lord, uh, inviting us to come. I do pray, Father, that everything that is said in this service and the services to come, Lord, would uh, truly be uh, bring glory and honor to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I also pray, Father, that if one, if there would be one in one of these services, Lord, this one or one of the ones to come, that know not the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would come, uh, Lord, to the saving knowledge of Christ before they leave. I also pray, Lord, for the, for the Christian, Lord, that may sit in one of these services. And, Lord, they may be burdened, Lord. They, uh, they may, Lord, uh, have some issues, Lord, or some problems, Lord, that they need an answer to. I pray, Lord, that this week they would find the answer that they need. I pray, Lord, that uh, now that you'd work in this conference, give me the wisdom, Lord, and give me the power, your power, Lord, to, uh, to preach this message. And, Lord, that first of all, it'll, be, it'll bring glory and honor to you. But, Lord, it will also uh, be a, a blessing to these dear folk. And, Lord, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit of God could use that which is spoken, Lord, to bring conviction where conviction is needed. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible said, now we know that Matthew chapter 27 deals with the crucifixion uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that after the Lord Jesus Christ had been taken to this mock trial and uh, had been taken to Pontius Pilate and also in various uh, portions of the gospel, he was taken to Herod and then back to Pilate. Pilate tried to wipe his hands clean of the matter, but it did not work. And uh, But, in, uh, but uh, here in verses uh, 36 and 37, the Bible tells us that they took the Lord Jesus Christ up to Calvary. And, of course, you know the story. They nailed his hands and his feet to that cross member. And then the Bible says, sitting down, sitting there, they watched him. And my question is, what did they see? What did they see? I know what the Bible said, but what did they see in their own minds? And this morning, I'm going to ask you to go back with me to 2,000 years ago, and I want you to tell me what you saw. I, I, I know you've read it, but I want you to tell me what you saw. And as you tell me, then I want you to answer this question. Have my life cooled off? Do I really need reviving? Have I forgotten what I saw? Have I forgotten what Christ did there? Have I forgotten the message of Calvary? Because church, if we remember the message of Calvary, I don't believe the Jews, I don't believe the Romans remembered it. I don't believe they had the foggiest idea of what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing there. I believe they sat there at the foot of that cross and they looked up at that cross as if they were looking at a sporting event. I think they missed the whole story. Church, you listen. I believe this day in this day and time, I think some Christians have missed the story too. I think we've forgotten it. Maybe we knew it at one time, but now it's just... It's just, it's just, it's just something that we talk about. It's something that we talk about at Easter time. Can I say something? I don't believe we have to wait until the Easter season to lift up the name of Jesus Christ to be reminded of what happened on that old rugged cross. I believe every day of our life or any day of our lives that we should be able to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and be reminded of what took place on that hill called Calvary. Huh? I often think about uh, what did they see as they sat there. And uh, 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 I know several things I think they, they would have seen. First of all, they would have seen that crowd walking by, bragging and boasting. The Bible said, some of them said, he saved others. Why don't he save himself? And I know you would have seen that crowd. I think we would have seen that old rugged cross, that old brutal cross, uh, that long timber and that short timber. As they fastened the two together, we would have seen that. I think we would have seen something else. The most glorious sight of all. Even though he wasn't pretty to look at, but we would have seen our Savior. Yes. 
We would have seen our Savior as he went up that hill. And the Bible said he set his face like a friend. He told Peter, he said, my father has given me this bitter cup to drink. Shall I not drink it? And church, he walked up that hill to Calvary to give his life and to shed his blood for your sins and mine. I don't see how you can forget that. I don't see how we can forget that. But then church, I believe of something else. See, I've been to Jerusalem. No one had to tell me when I got to Calvary. When I got to Calvary, Dr. Bloom, and I looked at that hill, that skull figure is still in the mountain. That round figure, it looks just like a skull. You see the eye, uh, the eye, the nose, the, my, the whole thing is made out of, I believe it's granite. I don't know what kind of rock it is, but I believe it's granite. It's grayish looking. So most of the time when I was back in school, anything that looked grayish, we called it granite. Huh? I had a teacher with gray hair, I caught, never mind. Huh? But hey, listen, no one had to tell me. Huh? Our tour guide showed us the tomb where he was buried. She said, they are questioning that. I said, let them question what they want. I said, but I tell you what they don't question. They won't question that hill over there. They won't question that hill. But church, I can imagine as they walked up that hill and as they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, I think they were looking for something out of the norm. I think they were looking for something. I think they were looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to become a, a, a raven maniac. Huh? I, I, you say, preacher, what are you saying? Hey, listen, I think they were saying, I think they were looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, no, don't do that. I can't stand this. I can't stand that. But let me try to illustrate for you if I can. I have never had anyone to drive nails in my hand. And God helped the person who tried to drive them there. Huh? But can I, can I just say something? Can you imagine how many men it would take to hold me down to drive a nail in my hand? Huh? I don't think one Roman soldier could come over and, and say, Brother Titus, just put your hand out here and pat, pat, pat. I think it took half of that legion. Huh? And then when they got ready to do the other one, pat, pat, uh, I think the other half, I, I would have wore the first half out. So they had to bring the other half. I don't think a man just laid there and said, go ahead, drive away. But that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Huh? The Bible said he spoke not a word. He laid there. And I believe when the, when the Roman soldiers came over to, draw, to, to, to nail his hand, he probably had them stretched out like this. When they came to put that long, and that spike was about like that. To drive that spike in his feet, I believe he just crossed his leg the best he could. And... Let him drive it. Didn't make a sound. Church, he did that for you. He did that for me. The Bible said, while hanging on that cross, he said, I thirst. The Bible said they took a reed and they stuck it in a bucket of vinegar and they put it to his lips, but he wouldn't drink it. The Bible said there was no gall found in his mouth. I believe on that cross, on that on Calvary's Hill Church, I believe the, the, the onlookers, as they were sitting there looking up at that cross and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe they heard him say some things. Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe they heard him say, I thirst. I believe that I know they heard him say, it's finished. 
I know they heard it, but church, they didn't get the message. We got the message. We should know exactly what's going on. Hey, listen, we're talking about revival. Every day of our lives, there should be a revival. We should be praising God. We should be thanking God. We should be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. You said, why, Pastor? Because if you will say it through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can't go to hell if you wanted to. If they turned the world upside down, you wouldn't go to hell. And so, church, I'm telling you, revival? We should have a revival in our hearts every day. Every day. Why don't we? Why don't we have revival in our lives every day? Solomon said back in Proverbs chapter 13, and I think it's verse number 12, hope that is deferred maketh the heart sick. Maketh the heart sick. What was he talking about? My friends, you listen. Most people believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, that God Almighty cannot send revival. I want to tell you something. Yes, he can. If he sent the first one, he can send it. But you know something? Maybe he has deferred an old-fashioned revival coming because maybe we are not ready. Maybe we are not ready. You said, preacher, why would you say that? Back in Exodus chapter 2, the Bible talks about a man named Moses. And the Bible said God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Huh? And told Moses that he was going to use him to go down into, into Egypt. To bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt. Huh? But the Bible says something else. Just prior to doing that, I'm not going to leave my glasses too far. I'll be blind as a bat if I do. <laughs> but the Bible said just be. Uh, and and, and uh, Stephen talks about it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. He said one day, Moses, when he had come to age, about 40 years of age, he walked out. He saw two Egyptian, you know, and so forth. And uh, they were, they, they were, they were, they were stroving. And he, he looked, he looked this way. And then he looked that way. And he killed him. He slayed him and hid him in the sand. Or in other words, he buried him. The Bible said the next day he came back and he saw two of his brethren, you know, chiving with one another. And he went to them and they spoke and they said, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? What did Moses do? The Bible said Moses fled into the land of Midian. And there he stayed 40 years on the backside of the desert. Attending his father-in-law's sheep and goats for 40 years. You ever think that was strange? Now remember what Solomon said in Proverbs. Hope that is deferred maketh the heart sick. God used 40 years of Moses' life to do what? To teach him how to be a leader. Was his hope deferred? By the way, that word hope simply means expectation. Huh? God, he expected something. Moses, when God put it into his mind, uh, into his heart, into his thought process, that he was going to use him. Huh? If you read Acts chapter 7, get down to verse number 25. What did Moses say? He, Moses thought that the Israelites or the Hebrews should have known that God, by Moses' hand, was going to lead the kids out. Huh? That's what it said. That's what my Bible says anyway. But God did not use Moses for another 40 years. 
Two-thirds of Moses' life was over with when God told him, when God, when God said, uh, appeared to him in that burning bush and Moses went up to see it, he told him to take off his shoes and God said, Moses, you are my man. I'm going to send you down into Egypt. You're going to bring the children of Israel out. Moses said, listen, Moses had been on the backside of the desert for 40 years and Moses had forgotten how to talk about anything about other than sheep language. He could speak good goat language. The Bible said when he was raised in in Egypt, uh, in in the Egyptian word, in the Egyptian culture, he was a mighty man of speech, but 40 years he had lost it all. Hmm. He had lost it all. God deferred. He deferred his hope. He put it on hold. He delayed it. And church, I want you to understand something. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to understand something. Maybe God has deferred sending revival because he got he want to fix something in us. Maybe he want to fix something in his people. This week, church, I would to God that we would open our hearts and mind to God and say, if there is something in me that needs fixing by the grace of God, have at it. Have at it. If I'm not where I'm supposed to be, half-headed, God, I would love to see an old-fashioned, a uh, Holy Ghost-filled revival. But God, if I'm the if I'm the vessel, if I'm the instrument that's holding it back because something needs to be fixed, then by the grace of God, fix it. Amen. Fix it. Huh? Why did it take God so long? Huh? Why did it take God so long? Huh? If you look at what Luke's uh, what. Uh, 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 Stephen is talking about in Acts chapter 7 and what Moses writes about in, in, in Exodus chapter 2. You'll see that Moses, when he was 40 years of age, he was very impulsive. He walks out, he kills an Egyptian. His own brethren, so forth, uh, didn't trust him. Huh? How was he going to lead two and a half, three million Israelites up out of Egypt? All the trouble, all the frustration that they gave him, all the complaining that they gave him. I could see Moses now, if he was like he was at age 40 and so forth, now he's at age 80. I could see someone saying something, Bap, shut up! (laughs) Don't talk back to me. David, who do you think you are? I could see that. But by the time Moses wrote the book of Numbers, I think it's Numbers chapter 13, 14, one of those. The Bible said Moses was the most meekest man in all of Israel. What happened 40 years later? God had to fix something. And church, you listen to me. You listen to me well. Maybe God has to fix something. Maybe we don't even recognize the fact that it's there. But maybe God want to fix something. I used to pray all the time when we talked about revival. I said, oh Lord, please send a revival. Please send a revival in my church. Please send a revival among these people. But you know something? Huh? I changed my prayer. I said, God, start with me. Start with me. If you start with me, maybe it will become contagious. Maybe it will spread among others. But church, it all started back at Calvary. It all started there. 
as they nailed my Lord and Savior to that old cross. I can, I, I can see now, church, as they were nailing him there, and I can hear that hammer. I can hear that hammer pounding those spikes in his hand. And you should preach a sense and say, say, what do you think? Hey, listen, they saw it all. They saw it all. They saw my heavenly Father, uh, my Lord and Savior, on Calvary. They saw him do something. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ pay a price that he did not owe. He paid a price that he did not owe. Hey, listen, you want to know what God think of sin? You want to know what God think of sin? You just go back to Calvary. You sit back and watch what those Roman soldiers and those Jewish leaders were looking as they stirred up and as they railed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know God said, I hate sin. You want to know what he think about murder? You want to know what he think about abortion? You want to know what he think about a perverted lifestyle? You don't know what he think about sin? I don't care whether it's big. I don't care whether it's small. I don't care whether it's a little white sin or large black sin. You want to know what he think about it? Go back to Calvary. Go back to Calvary. The greatest act of love that we will ever know was manifested at Calvary. Oh, wait a minute. God had that love before the foundation of the world, but the Lord Jesus Christ made it manifest at Calvary. I want to tell you something, church. The greatest act of love took place at Calvary. How did it take place? They crowned him. With a crown of thorns. They nailed him with nails. Huh? And church, I want you to know something. Sometime I think we believe. Sometime I think we believe that what took place at Calvary didn't really, because the Lord Jesus Christ didn't scream and act like someone had lost their mind. It didn't hurt him. I want you to know something. The same pains that you feel he felt. Same pains you feel he felt. Huh? You imagine a nail going in, he, he felt the same pain. But pastor then, if he felt those pains, why did he lie there? Why did he stay there so silently? Why didn't he get off? Why didn't he call the, the legion of angels to take him down? Because he loved you and me. Huh? We want a revival. Huh? I don't need one. Huh? I just need to go back to Calvary. I just need to go back to Calvary. I just need to see what took place at Calvary. And church, if that doesn't revive me, I don't know what else will. Because that's where it all got started. Something else, church, that I saw. I saw the love of God at Calvary. When I read the scriptures, when I read the gospel accounts, I see the love of God. I see a love that surpasses all love. I'm looking over your congregation, Dr. Bloom, and I know a lot of these dear ladies in here are mothers and grandmothers. You know, I haven't met a mother yet whose son or daughter could be the worst thing walking. But when you ask mama, how's your little baby? She said, oh, he's a good boy. Oh, she's a good girl. Oh, she has some rough edges. 
He has some rough edges that need to be rounded off. Oh, but he's a good boy. But I want to tell you something, church. Not one, not one good boy, not one good girl could compare to the love of God that God has for you. As a matter of fact, God sees that child, that airman child, that that mom think is all right. God said, I see him. I love him. Oh, but I want you to understand something. The love of God, the love of Christ toward lost mankind, it does not compare. It does not compare. You say, what are you saying? This is what was seen at Calvary. Church, this is what was seen at Calvary. It all started. It all manifested itself. It unfolded itself there at Calvary. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Listen, as a young man, my wife have heard me say this. My church have heard me say this. But for the first 30 years of my life, I was happy-go-lucky. I laughed and I smiled my way through life. I thought Calvary was just something we talked about at, Christ- at Easter time. It didn't really hit me. It didn't really hit me. Until one night in March back in 1982, when I realized what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for me. Prior to March of 1982, I want to tell you something. And some of you may listen to me. You may have been in the same boat. You still might be in the same boat. Or you may know someone that's rowing the same boat. I was on my way to hell. And I was enjoying the trip. You said, preacher, what are you saying? I thought I was having a good time. I thought everything that I did was okay. I never realized how much the Lord Jesus Christ loved me. I never realized that his going to Calvary was for me. I never realized that he was paying a debt that I owe and so forth. A debt that he did not owe. I never realized that. And church, I was laughing and smiling my way right on into hell. You know what I see in a lot of churches today? I love what you had on your, on your uh, marquee up there or your, uh, your visual up there. Silence all telephones. Because I, I preached in services. While the preacher was preaching, there was someone back there texting. Huh? While, the, while the preacher was preaching, there was someone back there telling jokes. And someone back there laughing or passing notes. I have seen it in churches. Church, you listen to me. I want you to understand. If you or you know someone who's laughing their way at the pastor's preaching or at, at what's going on in the house of God. Hey, listen. You'd better let the Holy Spirit of God get a hold of your heart and say, listen, cut it out. Cut it out. Because church, if you go back to Calvary and you sit there and you look up at that center cross and you see the Lord Jesus Christ hanging there, I guarantee you if you allow the Holy Spirit of God to give you the real message of what was taking place there, you'd break that cell phone up. Huh? Someone tried to tell you a joke, you're a hundred years. I don't want to hear that. You will never complain about your pastor's preaching. You will never complain about the length of his service. You will never, you never will. You said, why? I want, you to tell, I want to tell you something. Don't forget Calvary. Don't forget Calvary. Don't forget what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. Something else, church. Something else. There were three crosses there at Calvary. Three crosses. On one side, there was one male factor, and on the other side, 
The Bible said one of the male factors railed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Said, if you be the Son of God, come down off that cross, save yourself and save us. But I like what that other guy said. Church, there wasn't a baptistry there. There wasn't a Baptist church there. There wasn't a, 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 a water fountain there. There wasn't anything there. But the other, the other male factor said, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? What, what, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? He said, what we do with us, we are justly. But this man have done nothing. We deserve what we are getting, but he doesn't. And then he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ with, with what he could muster up. And he said, uh, 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 remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, he said, I'm reading the sign over your head. I believe you are king. I believe you are the king of the Jews. I believe you're leaving this place and you're going to your kingdom. And when you get there, Remember me. I'm so glad, church. I'm so glad that I have a heavenly father. I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he left, he said, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where you, that where I am, there you may be also. He said to me just what he said to that male fact on that cross. Huh? He told him he was going to be in paradise. Huh? You know what he said? Today thou should be with me in paradise. He didn't say next week. He didn't say next month. He didn't say after they take you down off your cross and baptize you and so forth. He said today, today, church, I want you to understand something. You know why, church, why we need reviving? Because the Lord Jesus Christ could crack that eastern sky. He could come. He could call his children home. And I want to go home on a happy note and not a sad one. I want to go home praising him. Uh, I want to hear him say, well done. Uh, and if he doesn't say well done, I like to hear him say, welcome home. Uh, I'm not going to be choicy about words. Uh, but you know something? I don't want to hear him say, what happened? Why? What cooled you off? What cooled you off? I want to see you try to answer that question. He said, listen, the other male factor said, I believe that you are king. I believe you are king. If you read a little further in the, in the account, you'll see that the centurion said the same thing. The Roman centurion, who didn't even believe in God, when he saw the action of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he laid there and let him nail them to that cross, how he said not a word. I believe for the first time, for the first time, that Roman centurion had seen a Christian. He had seen Christ. He had seen God in the flesh. And I want you to understand something. That Roman centurion had probably nailed a lot of men to a cross. He had seen a lot of men go to that cross, that to Calvary, a lot of criminals. And church, I believe when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he saw the action of it, when Christ gave up the ghost, he said, surely, surely, this man was, was a Christian. Surely he was a godly man. And church, let, let me ask you something. Are people saying that about us? Huh? Do you have to remind people that you are a Christian? Do you have to apologize to them because you don't go to places you used to go? 
Do you have to remind them? Well, if you have to remind them, then you know something? There is something not very visual in your life. Huh? Because church people should be able to look at us. They should be able to look at the way we walk, the way we talk, the things that we say. Hey, listen, don't just walk into church like Billy, with a Billy, like Billy Joe Bible with a Bible under your arm on Sunday morning and then live like the devil during the week. Huh? You're not going to get anybody to come to Christ that way. And can I say something? Can I say something? Thank you, Brother Bruno, for giving me the liberty to speak. More people in your neighborhood know more about you Monday through Friday than they do on Sunday. Than they do on Sunday. This week, we're going to be inviting people to come. You're going to be inviting them. I'm going to be inviting them. I went to Burger King yesterday and I saw a young lady look like she was from India. And she said, oh, you're from Maryland. You're down here. I said, yes, I'm going to be preaching out at Central Baptist Church. I said, I'd love to invite you to come. And she said, well, I have a church. I said, I didn't ask you anything about your church. I said, I'd like for you to come down. I said, you standing here in this line talking to me. I'd love for you to come to hear me preach. She said, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I knew what that was. I get the same, I get the same answers back in Maryland. We'll see. But you know something? When I meet someone, I'm going to invite them to come. Amen. But here's the, what I, here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's, here's the thing. I want them to see, if they should come, the same man that invited them to come is the same man that's going to stand up and preach yep. I want my testimony to be intact when it's here. I want it to be intact when, that's, when I'm inviting. Huh? I want people to say there is something different about him. There's something different about him. I don't want to have to tell them, hey, listen, I'm a Baptist minister. Hey, listen, they should know that I am a Christian. If they ask me, are you a Baptist minister? Yes, but before I was a Baptist minister, I was a Christian. And I want them to see Christ in me. When they see me, hey, listen, don't see Ron Titus. See Jesus Christ working in Ron Titus. You want revival? That's what's going to bring it. That's what's going to bring it. You know what God is saying? I want to send a revival to America. I want to send a revival through my people. But I got to fix them. They're not ready for the test yet. They're not ready for the task. I need to fix some of them. They're caught up in everything. Except Jesus Christ. He said, I got to fix something. That's what he said about Moses. If you go back and read, the Bible said, in the process of time. It took 40 years for God to teach Moses how to be a leader. How many years is it going to take him to mold us and to be what a Christian should be? Hmm? How many, how many times do we get the compliment from people to say, you're different. You're different. There is something about you that's different. You're not just a churchgoer. You actually believe what you're talking about. I can see it in your walk. I can hear it in your talk. That's what Christ wants. That's what Christ wants. Pastor, what's stopping us from getting there? Second huh? Chronicles 7.14 If my people which are called by my name what's the first thing he said? We'll do what? Humble themselves. We are too proud to be humble. Too proud to be humble. I want revival. Brother Bloom, I want revival. I want revival.
I will even take survival if I can't get revival. I would like to see America stick around a little longer. I love America. I thank God that he, he allowed me to be born in America. I thank God, church, that, that I have freedoms in America that other people don't have. I have liberty in America that other people don't have. America has its share of problems. I would just like to see God uh, let it hold on a little bit longer. And if he doesn't let it hold on a little bit longer, just take me home get me out of here. Amen. But I would love to see a little revival. But church, some of us, some people, some Christians act like God can't send it. I want you to understand something. The God that I serve can. The God that I serve can. Pastor, can you give me chapter and verse? I'm so glad you asked. Whoa. I'm so glad you asked. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm so glad you asked. Let me find it. Let me find it. Look at uh, verse number 20. Ephesians chapter 3. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding uh, abundantly above all that we ask or thank according to the power that worketh in us. Huh? He can do exceedingly more than we think or ask. In other words, preacher, what are you saying? I want a revival. God said, I can send you a revival like none of the past. I can send you something, hey, listen, that will make the whole world shout. Huh? Well, pastor, why hasn't he done it? Can I say something to the Christian shame? Most of us act like the revivals are gone. They're outdated. The last one happened during the time of the Moody's and the Finleys and the Spurgeons and those guys. But I want you to know something. The God that I serve is able to do it now. And church, listen. Wouldn't you like to be the one that God starts with? Wouldn't you like to be the one? Take a good look at Calvary and see how God unfolded his plan of salvation. How he's made it visible. And most of the people that were there missed the message. And Christians today, many of us are missing the message. We have heard it so many times. Peter said, now somebody has become scoffers. Where is he? We've heard about it since the beginning of time. He's supposed to be coming back. I don't see him. Because hope, your expectation has been delayed or deferred. Church this week. This week, I'm going to do all in my power and all in the power of God to bring messages to you and to me because I want to see God do something. I want to see him do something. I'd love to see him do it right here in Ocala. I'd love to see him do it right here in Central Baptist Church. I'd love to see him pick out the individual who say, Lord, here am I. Start with me. Start with me. Fix what needs fixing. Fix what needs fixing. And church, that's how it's going to start. That's how it's going to start. I don't know what the Holy Spirit of God said to you this morning. I don't know what he said. But I do know one thing. When I was preparing this message, 
he spoke to my heart about some things. He said, preacher, let me show you some things. They were little things, but they were things nonetheless. Little to me, probably great to him. You know what I said? Fix them. Fix them. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will get, Lord, you fix them. I open my life as an open book. What you don't want there, what shouldn't be there, take it out. Fix it. If those little things that you've pointed out are stopping revival, take them. I don't want them. I don't want them. Is there someone here this morning that would say, Lord, if there is something, if there is something in my life that is stopping revival, I know what you did for me at Calvary. I can see it as plain as the nose on my face. What you did for me at Calvary. If there is something that is stopping revival from coming to this church, then Lord, start with me. Start with me. In just a second, I'm going to turn the invitation over to Dr. Bloom. He's going to take the invitation. But if God has spoken to your heart about something, you find your place at this altar or make an altar in this first row of pews. Or if you can't get there, make an altar right in the center aisle or in whichever aisle you're close to. And you get a hold of God because I know something. He's gotten a hold of you. He's said something to you. And church, I want you to respond. God doesn't like those one-sided conversations where he do all the talking and we just sit back and don't respond back. I don't like one-sided conversation. When my daughter was living at home with me and so forth, I would be talking. She'd be just sitting there looking. They said, say something, sweetheart. I'm talking. You say, answer me back. Don't let me think. I'm talking to the air. Huh? God loves to know that he has spoken and we've heard from him. Huh? This morning, you'll be given ample time to come and get along with God. Don't just sit and watch. But you respond. Brother Bloom.